Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. And I'm going to be speaking here for a moment from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, 1 through 12. We've already heard this passage read. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up to that passage. If not, that's okay. One of the most um, familiar images of Christmas is something like what's on the screen here behind me. A luminous, beaming, bright star hovering over a manger scene where Joseph and Mary are enjoying the birth of their son, Jesus Christ. And of course, the bright light in the sky is called the Star of Bethlehem. I don't know if you've thought a lot about the star of Bethlehem or what that star is about and what it might mean. Astrologers have, uh, or I should say astronomers, have debated for a long time what this star is about. Some say that it was a comet. Others say that it was a meteor. Some say it was um, kind of a conjunction of planets, maybe Saturn and Jupiter coming Together, some say it was a supernova. I am not qualified to speak at any length on those issues. We do have, however, an esteemed astronomer in our congregation, a guy named Guillermo Gonzalez. I don't think the Gonzalez's are here with us tonight, but if you are interested in learning more uh, about uh, the astronomy aspect of the star, I would encourage you to talk to Guillermo. But in any case, this star is mentioned with some frequency in this passage, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, which was read to us just uh, a few moments ago. And so we're going to just very briefly consider a few things about the star of Bethlehem tonight. The first thing I want to look at here is the timing of the star. Let me show you um, another image that we often see during Christmas time. And um, it looks like this. It's kind of a little bit of a cloudy picture. I don't know if you can see this very well, but we have some shepherds here, and of course we have uh, the sheep in the field and the star of Bethlehem in the sky. Now, the account of the shepherds is actually found in Luke chapter 2. We're looking at Matthew chapter 2. Actually, in Luke chapter 2, there is no mention of a star. The star is only mentioned in Matthew 2, and according to Matthew 2, the ones who saw the star were the wise men who came from the east. And so it says in verses 1 and 2 here of Matthew chapter 2, that after they came to Jerusalem, they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And so the wise men followed the star and found the baby Jesus. But you'll notice that we don't have anything in the Bible that tells us that a star appeared to shepherds. So this picture actually is a little bit inaccurate, biblically speaking. Um, Notice something else about the timing of the arrival of the wise men in Jerusalem. Um, In verse 11 of chapter 2, it says, When the wise men came, they entered the house, it says, 
where Jesus was. It doesn't say they entered a manger or came upon a manger. They entered a house. That tells us that Joseph and Mary had left the manger and had located in a house where they were caring for Jesus. And that's when the wise men showed up. And if you go back to the very beginning of chapter 2 in Matthew, we're told that the wise men came after Jesus was born. So this might adjust our perspective on this story a little bit. Apparently, the wise men were not there when Jesus was born. In fact, the wise men weren't even there during the time that Mary and Joseph were in the manger with Jesus. There are some who would suggest that maybe the wise men came to see Jesus as long as about two years even after he was born. Later in chapter 2, in Matthew, we see that Herod ordered the killing of all the male children two years old and younger in Bethlehem as a way of making sure that he would eliminate Jesus. And so that suggests that it could be as much as two years after Jesus' birth when the wise men arrived. All of this to say, the star that led the wise men to Jesus would have come sometime after his birth. And according to the biblical picture from what we can figure out, not actually uh, during his birth or even during the time that Mary and Joseph were in the manger. Now this might all seem to you like kind of a minor technicality, <laughs> but it does suggest a challenge to us or a warning to us, and that is this. We need to be very careful that we're not building our understanding of biblical events based on Hallmark greeting cards or movies or TV shows, or various expressions about Christmas that we find in popular culture. In our culture, we might hear a lot of things about God and about the gospel that might not necessarily be true. Many of you are familiar with phrases like, God helps those who help themselves, or God won't give you more than you can handle. Uh, I'm sure a, a lot of people in this room here have probably said those things and, and maybe have believed those things, and those things do bring a certain amount of comfort, but we don't find those statements in the Bible. Popular culture tells us that this is what Christianity teaches. We, as Christians, need to be very careful in our reading of the Bible and to make sure that we build our understanding of the gospel and the nativity story based on what the scriptures actually say. So that's just a few words about the timing of the star. Secondly, um, something, uh, a warning that we should give about the star, a warning. Um, stars are, are beautiful things. Some of you maybe have an interest in astronomy and spend some time looking up into the sky and we see the heavenly bodies, the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon and it can be very captivating. And one of the temptations that has always existed for people throughout history is to look at the beauty and the glory of the sky and to bow down and worship it. And the scriptures are very clear in forbidding us to do that. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, Beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bowed down to them. Stars reflect the glory of God. Stars point to a glorious God who is worthy of being worshiped. 
but stars are not in themselves to be worshiped. In fact, in Psalm 147, it says that God is the one who has determined the number of stars and has given a name to each one of them. I mean, think of that for a moment. Isn't that astonishing, particularly when astronomers tell us there are as many as 100 billion stars in our galaxy? Psalm 147 says God knows each one of them. Why worship a star, friends, when you can worship the creator of the stars and the one who knows them all by name? But someone might go on to ask, as we look at this story in Matthew 2 of the Star of Bethlehem, isn't this fascination with the star a, a kind of astrology? Now, there's a difference we need to make between astronomy and astrology. These are two different things. Uh, Guillermo Gonzalez that I mentioned earlier, he is an astronomer. Um, in astronomy, we study the universe beyond the Earth's atmosphere. The sun and the moon and the stars, a perfectly legitimate discipline for any Christian to engage in, but that's a little different than astrology. Astrology is the superstitious belief that the stars and the planets can predict the future and can even maybe tell us something about who we are as people, and that's what some people look for in horoscopes. Now, astrology is not exactly worshiping the stars, but it does cause us to look to the stars for something that we should only look to God for, and that is the planning of the future. That is a picture of where things are headed in the future. Only God knows the future because he is the one who has planned the future. And your future, friends, is not under the sway of the stars. Your future is in the hands of the living God. So in the case of this birth narrative here in Matthew chapter 2, I want to make a clarification here for those who might say, well, look, aren't the wise men practicing astrology and shouldn't we be concerned about that? Well, no, that's not the case because... Again, the wise men arrived after Jesus was born. So they were not looking to a star to predict something to happen. They came after the event already happened. So we might say it like this. The Bethlehem star didn't predict that a Messiah would be born. It proclaimed that the Messiah was born. And that's what the wise men followed to find the baby Jesus. The Bible here is not commending the practice of astrology and certainly not commending the worship of the heavenly bodies. Last thing, the purpose of the star. What is the purpose of this star? It is mentioned, I think, three or four different times here in chapter two, so it comes up frequently. In verse nine, it says this, the star that they had seen, the wise men, when it rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Do you see what the star is doing here? The star is leading the wise men to the Savior. The star is pointing to Jesus, the one who is the fulfillment of the hopes of all the ages, the one that God had determined from before the creation of the world to send into this world to give his life for sinners. This is the direction that the star 
pointed for the wise men. The star was used by God to point people to Christ. And when the wise men come, they respond exactly as anyone should respond when they come to Christ. We see this in verse 10. The wise men go into the house, and it says that they fall down, and they worship Jesus. These wise men became Christians that day. Their knees were bowed, and they declared that Jesus Christ is Lord through the operation of a star. Two things to learn from this. First of all, be encouraged. I think we can take encouragement from this that God can lead people to Jesus in the most unpredictable, unusual, and extraordinary ways. This does not for a moment diminish or lessen the urgency that every Christian has to talk to others about Jesus. It doesn't diminish the importance of supporting foreign missions, but when we become disturbed by questions like, what about people who have never heard of Jesus? What about people who live in faraway lands that are not reached by the gospel? And we wonder what will become of them. Remember, God used a star to lead wise men from the east, from a faraway nation at that time, outside the nation of Israel. God used a star to lead them to faith in Jesus. This doesn't mean that God's gonna do this for everybody. This doesn't mean that everybody will be saved. But it does mean that God will not fail to save everyone that he has elected from before the foundation of the world. Ordinarily, that happens through the preaching of the word and the declaration of the gospel by his people. But God sometimes works in extraordinary and unusual ways, and I think that's what we're seeing here in Matthew chapter two. The second thing uh, that I would encourage you to consider is this, to ask this question. In what ways is God leading you today to Jesus? How is God pointing you to Jesus? Now you might say, well, I'm a Christian. I, I don't need to be pointed to Jesus. I've already received Jesus as my savior. Yeah, but maybe you're wandering from Jesus a little bit. Maybe you haven't been walking with him very intimately lately. And maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you're here today and, and you're not a Christian. But my question is, how is God leading you to Jesus? He can do this in a number of ways. Is there somebody maybe that God has sent into your life lately? A friend, a, a new person who has been talking to you maybe about spiritual things? Maybe talking about Jesus? Maybe it's a book that you have read recently. Maybe it's a sermon that you've heard recently. Maybe it's through a hardship or a crisis, a difficult situation in your life that you have been facing, and this hardship is compelling you to ask some questions about your life and your existence and, and why you're here and what is life really about and am I really using my life as best as I possibly can? Has all my life been a waste or is there some transcendent significant meaning to this? Maybe God is using something to get you to ask those questions. Is that what's happening in your life? Is God leading you to Jesus somehow? If he is, friends, 
This Christmas, I implore you, do not ignore what God is doing. Don't rationalize it. Don't dismiss it. Don't ignore it. Don't make it less than what it is. The scripture says this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But come to Jesus. Follow where God is leading, that you too may fall down and worship him. God, we are thankful to you for all that you do to save sinners. We thank you for your sovereign plan before the foundation of the world. We thank you for sending Jesus into the world. We thank you for telling us in your word what you're gonna do and how you're gonna do it. We thank you for telling us what you've done and we thank you for telling us how we should respond to repent and trust in him. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would cause us all to follow your leading to draw close to your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.